It's all but incomprehensible, isn't it? God's request of Abraham to sacrifice his son. I mean, what humane parent would do such a thing? And God asked it of Abraham? What does that say about God? Now, I personally believe this story is supposed to function in this way to some degree. God's ways extend beyond our ability to see clearly, to understand fully, sometimes even to grasp much of anything. It's a story emblematic of our encounter with his plan and purpose and design. Why does my dad have cancer? Why did my parents divorce? Why the pandemic? Why the numerical losses of practicing Christians? Why the many divisions in politics and in our households? At one level, Abraham is set forth as an example. He knew God. He had experience with him. God had made promises to Abraham. They had entered into a covenantal relationship with one another. This meant each had responsibilities. God had invited Abraham to set out from his homeland, and he would make of him a great nation, a worldwide family, even though Abraham and Sarah were old and she was barren. God was faithful. Abraham must then respond in kind. Like we have responsibilities for the animals in our care and the other humans in the world, especially those in our home, so responsibilities exist between man and God. Duties to be fulfilled come what may because of who God is and what he's done for us. From giving us our very lives to giving us the loves in our lives. Everything good originates in him. The temptation was there for Abraham as it is for us to cut and run. I mean, to take God's gifts, Isaac in this case, and set off on our own, away from him. Perhaps justifying our actions by restricting what God must be doing to the current capacity of our tiny little old brains. God's ways can appear incomprehensible in themselves as though they're devoid of logic or meaning. But they may just exceed our current ability to comprehend. It's precisely in times like these that God sometimes invites us to act without fully understanding so that we might come to know or understand what we currently don't. A holy rabbi wrote that many answers had been given to why Isaac was bound for sacrifice and why God put Abraham and Sarah through the agony of thinking that the son for whom they had waited for so long is about to die. One answer transcends them all, he says. We cherish what we wait for and what we most risk losing. Life is full of wonders. The birth of a child is a miracle. Yet precisely because these things are natural, we take them for granted, forgetting that nature has an architect and history an author. Judaism is a sustained discipline and not taking life for granted. 
We were the people born in slavery so that we would value freedom. We were the nation always small so that we would know that strength does not lie in numbers, but in the faith that begets courage. Our ancestors walked through the valley of the shadow of death so that we could never forget the sanctity of life. That is why at the dawn of Jewish time, God put Abraham and Sarah through these trials so that neither they nor their descendants would ever take children for granted. Every child is a miracle. Now, if you're thinking, well, everybody knows children are precious, then you must be unaware of the debt we owe to Judaism and Christianity. For child sacrifices were common in Abraham's day. And abandoning kids in the wilderness was a common Roman practice in Jesus' day, like abortions are in our post-Christian world. You see, by trusting and acting, that which was unknown became known. In ancient Judaism, participating in a sacrifice worked in a similar way. For example, at the Passover sacrifice, there's a looking backwards to a terribly trying time and to God-saving actions in Egypt, while also looking forward in hope to his future actions of renewal and restoration. By joining in a sacrifice like we do here, it was as though you were being enslaved and freed, judged and saved, exiled and restored, dying and rising to new life. By asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, it would seem that God was having Abraham look back and reenact the self-destructive and depraved choices of condemned humanity while looking forward to the way in which God would be faithful to his covenant, bringing about renewal, perhaps even the resurrection of the dead. God had promised to bring renewal to a fallen world through the son Abraham was about to kill. Maybe God would bring this newness by actually raising the dead, Abraham could have thought. N.T. Wright, a biblical scholar, said that the line of disaster and of the curse from Adam through Cain through the flood to Babel begins to be reversed when God calls Abraham and says, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You see, God's answer to the problem of Adam was Abraham, through whom people were to eliminate evil to bring God's wise order to the created world. They were to be the new humanity, rescued and restored by God himself, which is vividly depicted in the transfiguration of Jesus in the gospel. He's the fulfillment of God's covenant with mankind. He's the renewed humanity, the meeting place of heaven and earth, God and man, displayed brilliantly in his flesh. He's what a life fully alive looks like. He's what a responsible believer looks like. He's what God's fidelity looks like. Joining us in the darkest moments possible, being faithful to God on our behalf, embodying the future hope of resurrection. 
leaving us with a way to participate in his sacrifice and new life, as well as an example to follow, so that we, like Abraham, may come to know what we do not and be instruments of service and hope in God's quest to renew the world.